great to welcome Nellie Calford to the show. Um, kind of expert Wednesdays here. Nellie has been on once before. Nellie is my longtime meditation teacher. And uh, you can learn more about Nellie and what she does with recollective awareness at Pine Street Sangha. That's H-A-N-G-H-A. J.D., do you know the word Sangha? I'm not familiar with the word Sangha. Well, Nellie will tell you. PineStreetSangha.org. Nellie, welcome to the show. Hi, Carl. Hi. J.D. needs to know what Sangha is. Well, Sangha is actually, um, a com- that's, that's kind of a bit of a long story, but Sangha in its most simple understanding is community. And that's how it's used here in the United States. In um, Asia and monastic traditions, it's the uh, community of monks and nuns. There you go. And here in the United States, it could be secular, right? Yes, and, I, and here in the United States, it is secular quite a bit. And the Pine Street Sangha is secular. And so we're there basically you go. saying it's Pine Street community of meditators. Yes, of which I am one, and of which uh, you I decided. Are one. Yes, and I've decided. Um, this uh, I think it's the first time I've done this in seven years on the radio. Uh, you're going to interview me, right? I think it'd because be, it's um, with your idea actually to to give people an idea of what we do. And JD is suddenly interested in the show. This gives uh, <laughs> might give uh, better insight into what we do. You know, I see you, what, every three weeks or so. So ask me what you will. Okay, well, and the reason why I am asking you and the reason why I am interviewing you is because you are the expert. Um, I I know this is Expert Wednesdays, but you're the expert on your meditation experience. Uh, And so I want to hear from um, you about actually what you've experienced. So let's sort of go back in history a bit. When did we begin working together? Well, actually, it was, uh, I know the year because I started on KPOJ in 2007, around February, and uh, was having a very difficult time transitioning. I've been a stand-up comic since 1980, and um, up late at night, and I was having to get up at 4 in the morning uh, and doing three hours of radio, which turns out I I have love to do, but the preparation for the show uh, was very stressful. I wasn't sure I was up to the task. And changing a lifestyle from being a late person to an early riser, there was all kinds of uh, biological resistance to it. And um, I got your name uh, from a friend, and I thought that meditation would be one tool to help me with my job, with my life transition, basically. So it sounds like you came to meditation in the way that, in fact, many people come. You were looking to reduce stress in your life, but maybe Mm -hmm. even equally importantly, you were undergoing a large transition. And, of course, this is what we um, deal with in in our lives is large transitions. Yours was, of course, one you wanted. Sometimes our transitions are ones we don't want. But um, meditation and the teachings really are about helping us navigate through the inevitable changes of mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, um, you've you um, gone through a lot of, I, because I've been interviewing you for the last seven years every three weeks, I, I do know that you've gone through a lot of transitions in your meditation practice, that right. it, it's changed quite a bit. And um, you, what would be if, like a, maybe a couple of the highlights of that that, would be of interest. Well, it's interesting because when I thought meditation, I was not 
really tuned into what you do in in recollective awareness. My view of meditation was limited. It was, you know, you breathe, you center yourself, you clear your mind, and you go to a good place, which is going to de-stress you. Um, And initially when I came to you and when I started meditating, I was going to a lot of kind of warm, fuzzy, sunny places in my mind almost as a refuge from what, what the radio schedule was for me, and I, you know, I actually wasn't really sure I wanted to do radio with with the burdens of it. It was a lot of work, and I was questioning that. So, in a sense, that I was looking for some refuge. I was looking for a, a, a place to sit where I could de-stress. But, but quickly, I learned, I think, that what your what you teach is to let the mind go. There's no breathing to center yourself. Um, I, I think I, I said once that, uh, well, I did go to group meditation with Gary once, and they did all these breathing exercises, and being OCD, I started to count my breaths, and it was counter to <laughs> I was counting my breaths and, and getting more OCD. But the, the, the style that we do is to let my mind go, to take it, to follow it where it goes, and then to talk about where I go in these meditations with you, and when I'm alone, to write down my recollections of my meditations so I could learn things. And what I certainly have learned is that what I see um, all around me and experience each day, in the meditative sense, I get a much broader view of of what is good, what is bad, what feels good, what feels bad perspective. It's almost to me as if you're a writer um, going back, writing a memoir where you can be both in the moment recollecting what it was like when you were, let's say, a child, looking back at it now, seeing it from the perspective of other characters. Your mind contains so much power within a meditation and being able to recollect what you just meditated, whether it's 20 minutes or half an hour, and then I turn to talk to you, and your wisdom comes through to put those thoughts in some kind of um, through some kind of uh, analysis. Right, you said that really well. And so, you know, let me sort of say it back in another another way. Okay. I mean, it's sort of I think about this as co- sort of layers of becoming more aware of what's going on. And I think mm-hmm. in most meditative traditions, people can relate to becoming more aware of what's going on, although. Um, I think sometimes it's limited to being aware of the breath or being aware of the body. We take in being aware of whatever's going on, what we can let's say what we can pick up about whatever's going on, right? Right. Um but then in the meditation you might be completely immersed in it, but then in the writing about it you kind of have to in a sense step back a step or two or whatever from it and get some perspective and and then you talk about it and you get some new perspective. Is that what you're right. describing? Yeah, uh, definitely. And I'll give an example uh, from from days on the radio with KPOJ. As you know, um, pretty uh, pretty OCD, and and I compartmentalize my tasks in life. And you know, when I was doing three hours on the radio, I and here I'm doing two hours, same amount of content, but I have four quadrants, and maybe sometimes. Um, six thirds, and I'll take each segment, day in history, produce it, look at it, every segment, and uh, compartmentalizing, listing helps me complete tasks. But I found when I would meditate, like they go into the parking lot at KPOJ and just let my mind go about the show, it was much more than just segments. It was about 
whether my mind focused on particular callers and comments, imagining them out there, thinking about some people I know, thinking about comments that were made that triggered another idea in my head that went way back to a different time, way before radio, taking off on a particular subject we talked about that day and flashing on uh, on the totality of it. I w- and, and sometimes I would focus on just something that upset me about the show or something I did very poorly on the show, but I never knew exactly where my mind would take me. Sometimes it was maybe a little obsessed with things, but I found I was getting more than just a compartmentalized view of what I did. I was getting um, a holistic view of myself, the audience, (laughs) the great views of the world from what I talked about each day, if that makes any sense. Well, that makes perfect sense to me, um, and I hope it makes sense to the callers because what we're describing is actually something that experientially is um, is complex, and that's what you're saying is that our inner world, your mind, I'd say most everyone's mind I know, are, it's it's very complex, and there was some way that you, in meditation, and I believe that this is what recollective awareness um, opens up the possibility of, is we're able to sort of step into the complexity of it. And and the other thing that you said, Carl, that I think is really important is that it helped you with your work, you know, um, that it really did make, you know, you came in with that hope and you found a way that that was true, perhaps in a way you never could have predicted in the beginning. Right, absolutely. And I think the other big things that I went through personally during my time with you, the death of my dad, um, and in 2010 and the death of my mom in 2012, especially, as you know, because my mom had um, dementia for um, for a good three years and I was flying to Florida a lot. And, um, you know, I had preconceived notions of, of what it would be like um, as um, uh, to have to have my mom leave her home and be me along with my sister being responsible as co-guardians to actually physically remove my mother and put her, uh, put her. See, I use that phrase. Um, place her in in a new environment where she could get care. Um, and I found through this process, and even being there with my mother, seeing her, and seeing her mind go back to a place where she was young and beautiful, and a lot of dementia patients do this. Um, I, I would would see her, be with her, and then go back to my hotel sometimes or go out to the car and meditate about my mom. And it was more than just seeing something that made me sad in a way, that my mother had Alzheimer's disease and she was stuck in this place. You know, I would I would go in and, and see her putting makeup on every day, and th- my initial reaction was that's kind of sad, you know, because she's not going out anywhere. But the perspective of other people who saw her in this house was that she she loves to look nice, and um, you know, you take in observations, you take in your own observations, you go back to times when your mother didn't have dementia. It just allowed me to deal with what people think is a very sorrowful, tough task and broaden it so that there were many bright moments as well as many sad moments there and give me some context for the whole process, for my mother's whole life, what my part in it was, what my sibling's part in it was, what my mother's part in her own life was. And they're coming to the reaction and realization that there, you know, there's pain in life. 
there's happiness in life, and we don't have to pigeonhole that it's going to be sad, it's going to be happy, that, that out there are all the truths which we should come in contact with. Right, and it's so easy, and it's a perfect example. I mean, it's so easy with something like Alzheimer's or dementia to get caught in a very rigid and painful concept about the experience of it. You know, I think they say that's one of the things people are most afraid of, Um, but you were able to be in the complexity again of the experience of it in in many dimensions and see that it wasn't what you imagined it would be. Yeah, you know how many times I, you know, I was fearing that, you know, we would actually have to strap my mom to a gurney and move her to the assisted living home, and it just didn't turn out that way. And in fact, my mother had very happy moments, and um, this whole idea of of of, of future tripping, it doesn't have to be what you design. Your regrets, and I have a lot in my life, don't have to be. Regrets. If you explore and see that that everything is textured, everything is layered, and and things aren't monolithic, things aren't one way, and experiences and emotions that you have, really, if you if you delve into them in your mind through this meditative process, you can be awfully surprised for good or ill. And I think that's where you know this is called the path of liberation, and I think that those are the kinds of things that we get liberated from, is. Mm-hmm. Actually, having tracked that experience with your mother, I predict that when future fears come up, you can't, you won't be able to believe that they're going to turn out quite the way you're predicting them. You may still predict them, but you won't be able to believe in your predictions so wholeheartedly. Right. And some of our predictions. And that that comes from broadening the experience, right? Absolutely. Exactly. And really knowing, knowing about the, what actually occurred and seeing more about it. You know, we well, I, I, I know mentioned this future I, tripping and regret because, you know, I was just mentioning the last session, you made a really important point to me that um, a, a lot of, uh, you know, it's kind of cool these days to say don't, you know, future trip or, or don't regret, live in the moment, live in the moment. But that, um, you know, that's not necessarily true. I mean, you could, as I pointed out, you could look in a photo album, uh, you know, a trip you took with your, your spouse or partner, 20 years ago and that's looking in the past that's not you're living in the moment while you enjoy the past planning i've got a financial planner planning for the future is something that um you know you got to know you got to look at the numbers and and that's not necessarily worrying about the future so the idea of living in the moment moment by moment that we create this world where there is just a past just a, a, a present just a future isn't true we have all of those things in us at all times right Right, it's that, that those are arbitrary um, concepts that we place on it. So I want I want to make sure we get to this question because I can't tell you how many of my students who have done a more structured form of meditation, say following the breath or being aware of the body, when I suggest to them that they can let their mind be a little freer, they get so afraid that they're going to get caught in obsessive thinking. And right. here you are, you've got OCD, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak to those people's fears about um, they're so afraid they're going to just go on and on and on and on with the mm-hmm. same painful thought? 
No, I, I think my experience has been exactly the opposite. And, and I think my, you know, you take into your meditation all that, you know, you could be upset for the moment, you could be stressed out for the moment, you could have some preconceived fears. But once you get into your meditation and let everything, anything come out and then analyze it afterwards, you'll find that you're capable of so many more things. And the fact that I can be in meditation and not be OCD, that I could go back and, you know, come up from meditation and understand that I have the power because this is the same mind in my meditation in life, not to be captive uh, of OCD. I find it an entirely liberating experience um, to, to do this. And, you know, if, if you do have worry and regret, um, what better way than to put it in context and, and explore it? And, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with regret. There's nothing wrong with, with, with anger, really. There's nothing wrong with all the emotions you feel because they are part of who you are. And there's actually a lot to be learned from them if you can really take right. them in and learn from them. They're important, right. important actually. Right. So one more thing that, you know, I, I want to ask you is that um, so many of my students struggle with keeping up a practice of meditation um, on their own and, and, you know, at home or whatever, in the car in your case. Um, in fact, I'm writing, I just wrote a blog to this topic. Um, and you've, you've kept it up all, for seven years or or six years, I guess it is. Well, it's been uneven, but yeah. Well, one of the things is coming to you, and you know, because I, no matter what is on my mind or what I want to come in to talk with, if we meditate and talk about it, there is always some incredible insight. And I, I just don't want to say it's you. I think it's you and me together as we discuss uh, my meditation. So there is always insight to be gained, and. And whether I'm just doing meditation, maybe de-stress from a show or calm down from too much behavior, or if I'm in a great place and just want to live it, I always find something in that meditation to hang on to or to learn. It's part of your mind, uh, a different part of your mind. But, you know, I love learning things. I like history and investigating all kinds of things. And to that extent, I learn and learn about myself. So I think the the you know what I've gotten from this is more insight, more learning about me, my mom, the people important to me, my job. So in that sense it attracts me to the process. Right, that really changed from the beginning, didn't it, when you were looking yes. for um a refuge Solid. now you've no. <laughs> Nelly, thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. And yet there is a refuge sometimes for you. You know, I just wanted to say I agree with you. The relationship with the teacher, I think, is a really important part of the process because when you let your mind be freer in meditation, when you don't hold it to a structure, you really do need, um, most people really do need another person to bounce it off of. And, um, you know, if any of your listeners are interested, I am doing a meditation workshop this Saturday, July 20th, and there's still openings in it. Um, they could check up, check the website. Sangha. Dot org, Nellie Calfer, dot org, Pine Street Sangha, dot org, Nellie Calfer, my longtime meditation teacher. Thanks for interviewing me. I appreciate it. I don't know if anyone was interested out there, but, you know, it's always great to hear about uh, processes, and that's what this show is about, is trying to understand how we can better uh, process ourselves in the world. Nellie, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Take care, Carl.